Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, many families are struggling with changes to FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, leading to fears over the availability of timely financial assistance for college. Also this morning in our Throwback Thursday segment, those delays and confusion surrounding changes to the FAFSA are yet another example of the challenges many students face in affording a college education, forcing many to closely examine the price you pay for college. And the total solar eclipse isn't just happening in Northwest Ohio. How are communities in other parts of the country planning and preparing for April's big show? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. So we're getting a little bit of rain uh, in the uh, forecast, certainly nothing like what they have had in some other parts of the country, most notably California. Have you been paying attention to this atmospheric river that's been uh, dropping wave after wave of rain on uh, California, parts of the Pacific Northwest? Uh, It is just amazing how much rain that they and this is the second year in a row that they've had uh, late winter, early spring rains like this. How wet has it been in California lately? It is so wet that there is now a lake in the middle of the desert uh, in the interior part of California. So remember, California is is desert. Parts of California are desert. I mean, you, you we think of Southern California by the ocean and now it's all uh, so scenic and picturesque, but a, a good part of California is desert. And Death Valley National Park, which got its name for a good reason, it's one of the driest places on Earth, now has its own lake uh, at a spot known as Badwater Basin. They say it is a temporary lake. It is likely to dry up, but it was formed by the series of atmospheric rivers that has drenched California over the past several weeks. Officials say kayaking is possible. (laughs) <laughs> they they have seen uh kayakers uh, uh kayakers have been enjoying the unique experience of boating in death valley in the middle of the, of the desert but they say go soon if you want to kayak on the lake uh it is expected to dry up sometime in march but for now it measures six miles long by three miles wide and it's two feet deep. So it seems to, I seem to remember uh, this similar story last year when they got all of those rains in the early part of the season that uh, a lake formed at Death Valley. I don't know if it's the same spot or not, um, but a temporary lake formed, but it was only a couple of inches deep. This is two feet deep. So uh, obviously you can go kayaking on it. A lot of people have uh, for that unique experience to say, hey, I went kayaking in the desert. So that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> very, very wet in uh, in California. So I uh, have uh, information on a job availability, uh, availability for you, a job opening. If you are looking for work or you're looking for a new job, you may be interested in this. NASA has the dream job for someone just itching to find out what it's like to live on Mars. That's right. The space agency is looking for four people for its next simulated Mars mission. 
You're going to simulate life on the red planet for one year. You will be uh, living actually in Houston. They're not going to send you to Mars. They're going to send you to Houston. And you're going to be housed in a 3D printed 1700 square foot habitat designed to simulate life on Mars. Uh, So they are looking for Martians. (laughs) That's right. You could be hired as a professional Martian uh, to live in this Mars environment. Uh, The uh, facility, and they've actually listed this, I guess, uh, as a job opening. Martians wanted. The facility is located at the Johnson Space Center, would host volunteers. It says volunteers, so... I don't know if they're paying you. It does say volunteers in the report. It will host the volunteers as they emulate what it would be like to live and work on Mars, completing such tasks as uh, simulated spacewalks, growing crops uh, on Mars, because if we're going to colonize the red, uh, colonize the red planet, we got to be able to grow our own food. You can't run to the grocery store if you're on Mars. So you got to grow your own food. Uh, You'll be tasked with keeping the Mars Dune Alpha habitat in tip-top shape, uh, keeping it clean and tidy, and even uh, exercising on Mars, because they want to know what that looks like. So, (laughs) if you're interested, we're looking for a few good Martians. (laughs) That's NASA's new slogan, we're looking for a few good Martians. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started here. This is pretty cool. Howard University is doing something that no other historically black college or university has ever done before. Howard University breaking ground with a group of student athletes that has formed a figure skating team that will compete in its first event This weekend at the University of Delaware. How cool is that? The co-founders of Howard's figure skating team say they love the sport and they want to make it more accessible to students of all backgrounds, all races and backgrounds. They hope their effort will inspire other HBCUs to create their own figure skating teams. That is pretty cool. Best of luck. A Howard University figure skating team. Uh, skating their first event at the University of Delaware this weekend. Pretty cool. I don't know if you uh, heard about this. Um, This has been several weeks, months ago. I think we had the story uh, on the program back when Domino's Pizza launched this. They had a plowing promotion, I guess is the way. You remember hearing about this? Domino's Pizza put it out there, said... uh, Snow-covered roads should never get in the way of a piping hot pizza. And um, in launching this uh, plowing promotion, uh, they offered up a grant to one community uh, in order to plow their roads. They, they would plow, the dominoes would plow the roads to, to clear them so that they could get pizzas through. And now we have a winner, the $25,000 grant goes to Anchorage, Alaska. Of course. Of course. Where else would it possibly be? I saw that, and I was like, well, that is sort of anticlimactic. You could have probably predicted that from the very beginning. I think it was fixed. In exchange for the funds, it says Anchorage will share photos and videos 
of its operations, which will be featured on the Plowing for Pizza website. So it's all just a big scam there. You could have picked it. Anchorage, Alaska. Of course, where else would it be? That's Of course, we haven't really had a whole lot of snow this season, so I guess we really can't complain, but... Kind of a predictable outcome there. And how about this? I thought this was really interesting how uh, in the past few years, vinyl record albums have been making a comeback. People have been rediscovering their music collection on vinyl or young people have been discovering vinyl for the first time. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time up until recently, that I've walked into a store and actually seen vinyl albums on the shelves. You do. You see them uh, in stores now. They have vinyl record sections, music sections. As a matter of fact, uh, some places, many places, many places that sell music, whether we're talking big box stores or electronic stores or what have you, have uh, eliminated CDs. They don't sell uh, CDs anymore. They're actually selling vinyl records. And I think it's it's really cool. Well, guess what? Cassette tapes are now starting to catch some of the retro nostalgic shine uh, of vinyl records. And uh, one manufacturer in Japan is actually bringing back those personal Walkman-type cassette players that actually was the were the uh, forerunners to early forerunners to MP3 players and uh, what we now you know use our phones for. But uh, back in the day, you know the Walkman kind of revolutionized and pioneered the idea of music on the go. So now the Walkman is coming back. Younger Japanese music lovers are driving this trend, despite many being born well after tapes were eclipsed by CDs which was later eclipsed by digital music. Uh, one college student in Tokyo uh, tells uh, a reporter uh, there in, uh, in Tokyo, a cassette tape is for when I want to listen to music carefully. Hmm. He says he appreciates the warm, unique sound that tapes deliver, and he visits his local music store every week to see what is new in stock. Uh, it says, while brick-and-mortar record stores and analog music are a throwback to a bygone era in today's streaming world, new collectors are creating ripples in the music industry. As a matter of fact, uh, vinyl albums uh, outsold every other form of uh, music sales last year. Uh I, well, I don't. I don't know if it uh, outsold. Didn't outsell streaming. More people streaming music than than buying record albums. But I think um, it's more than any other physical media. And uh, vinyl record albums are uh, coming close to digital downloads in terms of the number of people who are getting into this. And now cassette tapes are the next thing. As long as they don't bring back the eight track, I don't think anyone wants that. Let's let's just skip the eight track in entirely. Let's not bring those back. I can deal with uh, cassettes and <laughs> all of that, and I love my vinyl albums. But please, no eight tracks. I just want to know when are they going to bring back the Columbia House Tape and Record Club? <laughs> when when that comes back, 
then we know we have gone full retro. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers likely today, a high around 50, becoming partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid-30s. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is looking for a vehicle that left the scene of a fatal crash on Route 23 in Wyandotte County. The crash happened on Monday morning near Township Road 65 in Pitt Township. The Highway Patrol says further examination of the damage sustained to the car leads them to believe that the other vehicle that left the scene is a semi, dump truck, or other heavy commercial vehicle. The impact likely caused damage to the back of the unknown vehicle, which possibly went northbound on US-23 after leaving the scene of the crash. The Highway Patrol says anybody with information about the unknown vehicle or its driver should contact the Highway Patrol, and we have their contact information in the story on our website. A bill introduced in the Ohio House aims to fight election misinformation by requiring disclaimers on any AI-generated political content. House Bill 410 would regulate deep fakes so they cannot be put out there to influence an election. Creators could face charges if they make these deep fakes. And this is similar to a different bill, House Bill 367, which would add the use of artificial intelligence or AI into an existing law that states no one can use another person's name, image or likeness without their consent to either promote or bash a product. I'm Tracy Townsend. The state of Ohio has announced an initiative to rid fire departments of toxic firefighting foam. They say the foam can cause cancer and other medical conditions in firefighters. Toledo Fire and Rescue's deputy chief says any effort to push us in this direction is going to hopefully make uh, strides. Especially better for the next generation of firefighters. Blair says Toledo Fire has already begun transitioning to a PFAS-free foam. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. Community members are encouraged to attend a send-off for the Finley High School hockey team as they look to advance in the playoffs. The send-off will be held on Saturday at 12.30 p.m. at the Cube, located at 3420 North Main Street in Finley. People are encouraged to bring signs, bells, and be ready to be loud. Get more on the send-off in the story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Now we get to our cover story this morning. Many families are struggling with changes to the FAFSA. That is the free application for federal student aid leading to fears over the availability of timely financial assistance for college. And by the way, this is creating issues for colleges and universities as well. We are joined this morning by Melanie Weaver. She is the Director of Financial Aid and Assistant Vice President for Enrollment Management at Ohio Northern University in Ada. And Melanie, thanks very much for being with us this morning. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, let's kind of take a step back. Uh, how did we get here? Uh, I- explain the the changes that led to uh, all of these issues coming up. Okay, we got here because back uh, during the pandemic, I think it was in 2020, Congress passed some legislation that uh, required a simplification of FAFSA. The goal to be uh, to reduce the number of questions on the FAFSA and make it easier for families to complete. So that's been the goal all along, and they are working towards that goal. It is it is simpler to complete. They're pulling all of IRS information in now. But uh, the, the Department of Education, while they've been working on it for the last few years, 
just wasn't quite ready uh, for this changeover as we expected. There's been a lot of delays. And so we're here because a lot of the changes the Department of Ed were required to make uh, have and they just needed more time to do them than they really had. So kind of ironic that uh, the idea was to simplify things, and yet now <laughs> it has thrown everything into a disarray. Although I suppose on some level we shouldn't be surprised that you know government, despite their best intentions, does tend to move very slowly. And I also understand that there were some changes in the way the the calculations were done uh, that would make more students eligible for greater amounts of aid and so on and so forth. Yes, as part of the legislation, there was the simplification, but there was also a change to completely change the calculation that's on the, the back end of FAFSA. So a family reports their information and then it calculates uh, a contribution for the family or a, an expected idea of what they could contribute. It was an expected family contribution, EFC, and now it's a student aid index, uh, SAI. So this has this is really, uh, from what we're understanding, the biggest changes in financial aid in the last 40 years. So this is a major historic overhaul for the financial aid system. And these are changes that were needed. I mean, it, you, you can't really argue that this was unnecessary, can you? No, the, the changes are positive, and I, I keep telling families by next year it's going to be so easy. Um, the, the changes are helping families. It's making the process simpler for students, and it's uh, helping more students qualify for federal grants. Both of those are very positive things. Yeah. So, as you alluded to, I'm guessing that because of all of the delays, because this, this should already be done. You should, I mean, in a normal year, you would already have all of this data back from the Department of Education you would have all of the information that you need in order to let prospective students know what kind of financial aid that they would qualify for. And as a matter of fact, you would have had this about a month ago, right? More than that, we normally send out our first batch of financial aid offers in the very beginning of December every year. Wow. So now it's here. We're in February and we're not even close to being able to send out those official offers. So, again, not only headaches for families, but this is creating some issues for colleges and universities as well. It definitely is. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> so so how are you dealing with that? I mean, I, I, I know from many of the reports uh, that there are a number of different ways that colleges are dealing with this uh, uh, revised timeline, shall we say, these delays uh, in terms of pushing back enrollment deadlines. Uh, some places are actually creating their own estimates uh, using the data that they have available uh, to give families some idea of what they can expect. I mean, what generally is the reaction from colleges and universities such as ONU? Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of different uh, activities happening at the college campuses to try to address this. I mean, bottom line at ONU, we know that having a better understanding of finances for families is critical. Uh, this is the peak season where students are trying to make a decision and make plans because that fall bill will be due here in August. So at ONU, um, while we have pushed back deadlines, like many other schools mm -hmm. for deposit and student you know, decision to ONU, 
we are doing uh, financial aid, early financial aid offers and estimates like you mentioned. So we have set a process in place for families to share their uh, results of FAFSA with us. Um, or if they don't have those, we have an alternate method so that we can give them an early uh, idea of what costs and financial aid are going to look like at ONU. Um, these are, you know, we're using all of our best resources to make sure they're as accurate as possible. So families have this early idea. I, I read a report the other day on this where they spoke with a family uh, that's trying to make these uh, decisions of which school their uh, uh, son is uh, are, are going to uh, attend and saying that, you know, we just can't be expected to make this decision blindly. We just don't have enough information. Are you, I, I'm assuming that you're getting uh, calls and inquiries from families that are saying much the same thing. Yes, there is a level of um, concern by a lot of families because this is, again, it's a very big decision. It's an investment in their child's future, and they need that information to make that decision. So, so uh, go yeah, ahead, no, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish that thought. No, I yes, it's, it's a big decision. And so we are getting a lot of calls from families who are, are trying to figure out how to understand this better and, and how to get that information. So you've you've got uh, uh, delays in in completing the forms, uh, delays on financial aid calculations, uh, delays on admissions. How late does this uh, snowball continue? I mean, this is not going to delay the start of classes or anything, is it? No, I, I would I would certainly hope not. I think the concern is that our, the national decision date typically has been May 1st. Right. We all know May 1st is very unlikely uh, and that a lot of schools are pushing it back to June 1st or even later. Um, the other delays come in, I, I think it will be, you know, sometime into May, June before some students are getting that information they need to make a decision, hmm. depending on how quickly some schools can get the information and pivot. When you're thinking big state schools, we have a lot in our state. It's a lot of students that are trying to put financial aid offers for it in right. a very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, again, and I'm sure that through all of this, you keep telling yourself next year, this is going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My staff and I keep laughing because we say we're just going to get done with this year and have to start on next year because the FAFSA will open October 1st for the following year. <laughs> wow. So we're going to have a very yeah. short window. <laughs> So in the meantime, what advice are you giving to families uh, that call with questions and concerns uh, about admission deadlines and whether the financial aid is going to be available, what they can expect? I mean, what general uh, information, general advice would you have for someone who um, has an application into ONU or really any mm -hmm. university? Sure. Well, at ONU, we we do have processes in place to give them that early financial aid offer or at least an estimate of their cost. Uh, we are uh, we are being very flexible with our admission deadlines to make sure they have time to make that decision. I would encourage them to be checking with other schools if there's schools they're interested in that's not ONU, what that school can offer to them in terms of a flexible admissions deadline, in terms of a better understanding of cost. 
of all schools that participate in the federal aid program, which are essentially almost all colleges and universities, have a net price calculator on their website that can give families a better idea of net costs, which is that total cost minus any financial aid they should receive. So those may be helpful for some families if the school's not able to give them uh, a more accurate financial aid estimate based off FAFSA information. I guess the only uh, comfort is that everybody is kind of in the same boat, that this is not unique to one university or one type of university or anything like that. These these are pretty much uh, across the board for everyone. You're echoing the mantra we're living by these days. <laughs> it is, we're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a very competitive space in higher education admissions, uh, but we're all dealing with the same challenges. And the families are truly uh, the most impacted in a lot of ways. So we're just trying to figure out how to help our families get the information they need. Again, Melanie Weaver is Director of Financial Aid and Assistant Vice President for Enrollment Management at Ohio Northern University in Ada, talking about these changes to the FAFSA, which have led to a snowball of uh, other issues as we come up on what is traditionally the enrollment deadline for colleges and universities around the country for the fall semester. And Melanie Weaver, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. So talking about these changes that were rolled out this year to the FAFSA, the standard application for college student financial aid, and how they were the changes were late in being finalized, which has caused this ripple effect across higher education. Families had to delay completing the forms. Colleges had to delay decisions on financial aid packages. Students, in turn, had to delay decisions on enrollment. And as a result, many colleges have had to extend their enrollment deadlines. And it goes on and on and on. And you really uh, have to wonder how many students, as a result of all of this, may decide to just throw their arms up and skip a year, not worry about it, and say, go back and attack this next year, or uh, may actually rethink their decision to attend college entirely. It's just another pain point highlighting the longstanding struggle to afford a college degree, and it is understandable if they would feel that way, because a four-year college education now costs well over a hundred thousand dollars in many parts of the country crippling gra uh, graduates financially before they even get their adult life started it is that also has been an ongoing story in the news the levels of uh financial debt that uh, you know student loan debt and such that uh, students are saddled with the moment they receive their degree New York Times money columnist Ron Lieber tackles this issue with what he calls an entirely new roadmap for the way we think about college education in his book, The Price You Pay for College. And back in February of 2021, we spoke to him about it. It is today's Throwback Thursday. The first question that many would-be students are asking themselves now is, is a degree really worth it? anymore? Well, the fundamental economics and, and the data that behind them haven't really changed. On average, there's about a million dollar gap in lifetime earnings between people who get a college degree, people who go and actually finish, right? Those are two different things. Right. Not everybody finishes. There's a million dollar gap between those who finish and those who don't go. And the people who are getting the degrees 
they are not earning more faster, but the people who do not are falling behind more quickly as time goes on. And we're seeing this during the pandemic. It's people without college degrees who are suffering disproportionately in terms of job loss and income loss. Now, it's not like, as we mentioned, this is not like this is a problem that no one knows about. I mean, there have been ideas for attacking this uh, from on the left. They talk about uh, making college tuition free. On the right, they talk about promoting alternatives in the skilled trades. Universities themselves have partnered with community colleges on two-year transfer plans to keep costs in check. There are 529 plans. There are tuition prepayment plans. What is your plan? So, first of all, I'm trying to get people to make sure they understand, you know, what college is for, right? I mean, you need to just to sit down and actually have a conversation with yourself as a parent if you're paying for it, um, and also with your teenager to see what they feel about it. You know, college can be an intellectual amusement park, right? You can go there to have your mind expanded in all sorts of ways. You can go to college to find your kinship, right? To find your kin, right? The the the, the friends and the people who will. Not just, you know, stand up for you at your wedding and carry your casket at your funeral, but, you know, also be your LinkedIn contacts, the people who might invest in your startup or hire you someday. Mm. And also the mentors, the grownups, um, you know, who will uh, help kind of pull you through life. Uh, and then there's the credential. And for somebody who's going to college for the first time, uh, first in their family to go, um, maybe this is an opportunity to, you know, kind of cement yourself uh, you know, on into the middle class with a, with a teaching degree, um, or, uh, or a nursing degree, or maybe you're looking to jump higher and, you know, and become a doctor, right? But you're looking for some kind of recession proof, um, uh, credential that'll get you there. Or maybe you're gunning for Yale, right? The, the kind of elite institution that could open doors that your family has never walked through before. So you've got to decide what college is before you can begin to shop for it in an intelligent way. Do we also need to ask the same questions again as we talk about, you know, there are politicians and and so on who uh, are, are floating all of these ideas for cutting the cost of college down to size so that it is manageable for families uh, once again. Do we also have to ask the deeper questions uh, on that side as well? Like, for example, why does college cost so much to begin with? Those are absolutely worthy questions. Um, and look, on the state side, you know, college costs a lot more than it used to because we don't subsidize it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other thing that, that's also true, you know, for public institutions and, and for, you know, the many private ones, uh, you know, in the Midwest and Ohio in particular that really slug it out on, on pricing and discounting is that it is true that they have more people working there than they used to, particularly on the administrative side. But I would argue that that is as many of us would like it to be, right? Um, there are many people who are able to go to college and do things there that were not able to, uh, you know, a generation or two ago, right? There are um, people with mental health conditions who now have, you know, support services in place by law um, that allow them to get to and through college in a way they might not have before. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the infrastructure that's in place to help first-generation students, uh, you know, at increasing numbers, get to and through college. Uh, I have two daughters, you know, because of Title IX, they're going to have equal access to uh, NCAA playing fields. And, you know, we want the computer network to work, and we want the career office to be robust, and we want the mental health counseling center not just to be, you know, keeping bankers hours and be open at night. And all these things cost money because trained people need to be responsible for them. And if we were to cut those human resources costs 
to the bone, we might not actually like the product that results. We've been kind of asking this question as it relates to the way so many aspects of our lives have been impacted and upended by the pandemic, whether it will change the paradigm moving forward. What about uh, in this case? This has, in many ways, not just because of the cost, but uh, in for many reasons, has caused caused many families to you know, reconsider uh, college and what it is all about. So, how much of this that we are experiencing now changes the paradigm moving forward with respect to higher education? Well, the thing that I found so interesting about what happened, right, is that in March, you know, everybody got sent home very quickly and shoved into Zoom rooms. Right. And, you know, what they discovered was that uh, the education um, was no longer anything close to what it once was. And the opportunities for kinship, right, for fellowship with their, um, with their peers and, and, and with professors and with administrators, you know, that was greatly compromised, too. And so it should not have been much surprise to anybody that, you know, to the extent that people were able to go back in the fall, they did, even though a whole bunch of them got sick, even though it was probably not the best idea from a public health perspective. So what does that tell us? That tells us that people crave the residential undergraduate experience as we have come to understand it in the United States. It is a rite of passage. Many kids in the middle class and above see it as an entitlement, you know, for better or for worse. They've been thinking about it for 14 years of schooling. And so this idea that the pandemic will somehow blow things up or that it's brought to the front, you know, the possibility of other ways of doing things, um, people haven't actually liked these other ways of doing things uh, this last nine months. And um, I, to me, it just only cements the fact um, that the experience of going to college is one that people actually crave and like a lot. Again, uh, part of our conversation with Ron Lieber, a New York Times money columnist about his book, The Price You Pay for College, from February of 2021, when the hot topic uh, was the pandemic and its impact uh, was uh, forcing people to reevaluate college and the way they approached it today. As we mentioned, these FAFSA issues may lead many people to do the same thing, probably not on the same level, but to a certain extent extent uh, as well. And I thought it was interesting uh, the way he referred to college as sort of an educational amusement park. And like going to an amusement park, everybody goes for different reasons and everybody gets something a little different out of it. And thinking about that uh, and taking factoring that into the larger equation of what you want to do in college or uh, with respect to higher education. Really, really interesting stuff. It's called The Price You Pay for College, Ron Lieber's uh, book, and we have it linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net, our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A very odd string of break-ins or attempted break-ins in Georgia here. Uh, Leading off the broken news, a man allegedly broke into a home and made himself a a cup of hot chocolate. (laughs) That's, That's what he did. He broke in, made himself some cocoa. Um... Oconee County deputies uh, reporting that officials received a call regarding a suspicious man knocking on doors earlier this month. 
apparently found one where no one was home and the door was unlocked. Uh, One homeowner reported uh, coming home to find someone had helped themselves to a cup of hot chocolate. Another resident found the suspect barefoot near his kitchen. (laughs) Barefoot. Uh, The suspect was identified only as a 44-year-old from Florida. Of course he was from Florida. Where else would he be from? 44-year-old from Florida was taken into uh, custody and now faces charges of burglary. (laughs) Stealing a cup of hot cocoa. (laughs) Grand theft hot chocolate. That's... (laughs) Grand theft beverage. (laughs) I don't know, just kind of weird. But that's all it was. Just made himself a cup of hot chocolate. <clears throat> Maybe if he'd have been running around with shoes on instead of running around barefoot, he wouldn't have had to. He wouldn't have had the need for hot chocolate. He would have been. That's why he was so cold. Uh, follow up in the uh, broken news. You remember the uh, story some weeks ago about the disco themed gas station uh, in Kentucky, or the the disco themed restroom rather at the not the whole gas station, but specifically the restroom at a gas station in Kentucky. It's disco themed. There's, uh, it's just a regular restroom. It looks like a regular restroom when you uh, go in, but there's a red button, big red button with a sign that says "Don't press this button," which of course uh, means that everybody wants to press the button and see what happens. So when you uh, press it, uh, the lights go off, disco ball comes on, music starts playing. <laughs> it's a disco themed restaurant at this uh, or restroom at this. Uh, gas station in Kentucky. Well, I suppose we should have guessed that this was bound to happen. A couple from Cincinnati recently got married there at the Hop Shops gas station and convenience store in Verona, Kentucky. It was right across the river. So a couple from Cincinnati decided that's where they were going to get hitched. (laughs) Logan Abney had a sweet vow for his bride, Tiana Aylstock. From the first dance in this disco bathroom to this moment, I vow to hop through life with you. Through the funk beats and the mellow melodies, every rhythm in life. They then pressed the big red button and had their first wedding dance right there. (laughs) In the restroom. They got married. The disco restroom. Well, it's a story that you'll <laughs> have to tell your kids and your grandkids. <clears throat> but I don't want to see the wedding photos. You know, I I just don't want to see the pictures. <laughs> to each his own, but I don't want to see the pictures. <laughs> Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, not the mother of the year. A Memphis mom uh, is not up for mother of the year. She instead is facing charges after posting a picture of her young child helping her at a waxing salon. Um, Apparently, she's due in court this week. I don't know if it's yesterday, today. Anyway, 30-year-old Jasmine Moss was arrested and charged with child neglect after the picture, which showed her daughter waxing a client's private parts, went viral online. And prompted numerous complaints, as you might imagine. On the social media post, Ms. Moss says her five-year-old helped her wax nearly two dozen customers at her salon. So many things 
wrong with this story. First of all, why would you bring your... I mean, I've heard of take your kids to work day, but this is an extreme. Secondly, if you were one of the customers, how would you feel? Why Why in the world would you let a five-year-old wax your private parts? I mean, think about that. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I think I would run the other way just at, first of all, I would not go in for a waxing of my private parts. But even if I did, when I saw a five-year-old, <laughs> I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. But there you go. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, parenting stories a new mom left her family completely shocked after sharing the rather x-rated name that she unknowingly gave to her newborn baby now this is a a story that's another one that's gone viral online Uh, about a 20 year old gave and i have no names uh here other than first names um, and the, the child's name. So 20 year old gave birth, uh, back in January and wanted to keep the name that she was going to give the baby a secret until she had signed all the official documents. It wasn't until afterwards that her family actually let her in on the real meaning behind the name. So the idea that she had was that she wanted to name her baby after her grandparents, Harvey and Charlotte. So she decided to blend the two names together and she came up with Harlot. <laughs> harlot. Apparently she had never heard of the word harlot before. And in case you are unfamiliar, it is a rather old fashioned word that refers to a prostitute or someone who has multiple partners that's the definition of the word harlot and of course again because all the papers all the legal papers have been signed it's too late now <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> would you like to be stuck with that name for the rest of your life um wouldn't somebody at the hospital or at the vital records division say, wait a minute, before you sign that paper, you should know. <laughs> but apparently nobody said anything until the family heard the name for the first time and said, um, well. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning... Imagine winning a half a million dollars in the lottery and then leaving the ticket at the store. (laughs) That's what exactly what happened to Kevin Fry, 64 years old. He's from Iowa, plunked down $50 for a scratch off ticket and then won the top prize of $500,000. He immediately texted his son to tell him about the win and when he did, he he realized that he had left the ticket there on the counter at the store. <laughs> I was so excited and flustered that I left the ticket inside the store 
went out to the car and started calling everyone. <laughs> well, I can I can understand the excitement. You know, you want to call everyone that you know and say, hey, you won't believe what just happened to me. But he was so quick to want to share the news that he ran out of the store and forgot to grab the... I ran, in, I ran back inside and asked the employee for the ticket. She was so flustered, she forgot to give it to me for the first time. So we finally got it. Uh, we finally got together on the right page. So fortunately, the person behind him didn't pocket the ticket and then take off. Uh, Mr. Fry claimed his prize a week ago, managed to contain his excitement long enough to lead his church service on Sunday. Yes, Mr. Kevin Fry is actually Pastor Kevin Fry. <laughs> his parishioners said he did a very nice job on the sermon. <laughs> I guess. I, I guess he had some divine intervention in not losing the lottery ticket there at the end of the day. There you go. <laughs> that is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Do you know an exceptional teacher who's made a positive impact in your life or the life of a student? It's time to shine a bright spotlight on these educational heroes with the Finley Rotary Golden Apple Awards. Nominate your favorite teacher from Finley or Hancock County online at finleyrotary.org before April 5th. Nominate an outstanding educator for the Golden Apple Awards. Make a difference. Honor a teacher by visiting finleyrotary.org today. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So, uh, guys and gals, if you are single and you are looking to attract uh, a partner, member of the opposite sex, um, you better start socking away money in savings and paying down your debt. New poll finds that uh, Americans believe having a savings account is sexy. <laughs> this is a, a survey of 2,000 U.S. adults who are either married, engaged, or in serious relationships. And they say, the this really, I thought, was uh, uh, surprising uh, to me. Uh, the most attractive trait in a partner, at least according to this survey, 40% said having a savings account is an attractive trait uh, in a partner. 40%. Uh, 38% said not having any debt is uh, an attractive uh, trait. Having a five-year financial plan, 29% said that's an attractive trait. 23% said having life insurance is <laughs> an attractive tra trait in a potential partner. So I, I would, <laughs> not sure if my, my partner wants to make sure that I have life insurance. I'm getting a little nervous, actually, uh, when you stop to think about it. But this is uh, kind of interesting. Beyond that, uh, while spontaneity is often hailed as romantic, 78% of respondents in this uh, survey agree that someone who prepares for the future is more attractive than someone who flies by the seat of their pants. So spontaneity is uh, attractive to a certain point. You don't want to live your entire life that way. That's really the bottom line in this survey. And by the way, at the start of their relationship, again, these were 2,000 adults who were either married, engaged, or in serious relationships who were surveyed. And they said at the start of their relationship, 
Only 17% preferred to receive practical gifts like uh, appliances or, you know, practical gifts, right? Only 17% wanted practicality in gift giving. Uh, However, today, 25% of those uh, in the survey would opt for those practical gifts over personalized presents uh, or expensive presents. Uh, This may be because 67% of respondents agree that as the relationship goes on, practical gifts become more and more romantic. So no practical gifts at the beginning of the relationship, but you are much more likely to uh, have practical gifts be welcomed the deeper into the relationship you go. So more sensible stuff. Sensible becomes sexy. (laughs) Interesting survey. Well, you know, we've been talking in the lead up to April's solar eclipse about the way we in Northwest Ohio are preparing for what we know and what we don't know is coming. Thought it would be interesting to kind of compare the way we are approaching it here versus the way they are approaching the eclipse elsewhere. The Arkansas Tourism Office is promoting their state as the ultimate destination for eclipse sightseers. And joining us is the secretary of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage and Tourism, Shay Lewis. Ms. Lewis, why do you say that Arkansas is a prime destination for witnessing the total solar eclipse? Sure. So what, what we've been saying is that, you know, what better place to visit uh, and see a natural phenomenon uh, is within the natural state. Uh, and so we know that Arkansas in the springtime, in April, it's a great time to visit. Spring is in full blossom. It's just a, it's a good time to visit. And also the weather in, in Arkansas during April is very mild and, and just a beautiful time to be out, enjoying nature, uh, the outdoor recreation opportunities all at the same time during this event. But another uh, thing about Arkansas specifically is that its location in, in the central United States uh, is makes it accessible from a large number of areas and sure. municipalities and uh, uh, and just easy to easy to get to as well. Well, with respect to that, I, and and obviously there are going to be plenty of tourists to go around. I don't know that this is necessarily a a, a competition in that regard. I mean, literally millions of people no. are going to be clamoring to witness this event in April. Some communities have uh, really embraced this more than others. I know that there are those who would just be as content to tell people, "Hey, stay away. I don't want to deal with the influx of people, uh, all of the." traffic, the strain on the local resources, the disruption to businesses, and so on. Have you seen that reaction uh, in that area as well? Primarily, we have seen uh, the opposite. We have seen so much interest in welcoming guests or trying to maximize the, the tourism opportunity of that. And so the, the unique thing about the eclipse in Arkansas is that it totality covers two-thirds of the state. Mm. So you can be anywhere in Arkansas during the eclipse and really have an opportunity to experience it. If you want to be in totality for the full totality for the event, uh, you can imagine, you know, drawing a line from the, the southwest corner of the state to the northeast corner of the state. Mm-hmm. And so, but we see communities that have really embraced this idea. It has been in, efforts have been in 
process for going on four and five years now in preparation for yeah. this event. Yeah. Uh, and again, just by uh, going going by what some communities uh, are talking about, uh, there is this uh, fear of what happens when everyone wants to leave at the same time after the eclipse is over. We were talking about that just uh, a few days ago on the, on the program. I think it's interesting you are actually encouraging those who visit Arkansas to stay a while. Don't leave right away. <laughs> exactly. That's our, our motto has been uh, come early and stay late. And so locations like uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas and Russellville, Arkansas have are scheduling and planning events. Hot Springs uh, specifically has an event that's partnering with Atlas Obscura uh, and through this partnership is offering a four-day music and arts festival to go along uh, with the event itself. Uh, and then places like uh, uh, Russellville, are offering uh, balloons, barbecue, and blues festival as well. So you can even ride a balloon uh, during the event. So, wow. so we're seeing, you know, the idea of come early, stay late, and then just kind of, you know, if 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 you're concerned about traffic and things like that, this will give that opportunity for for the guests that were aren't able to stay as long uh, to to travel back and then uh, your yeah. travel home will be easier. Yeah, I, I do think that is uh, rather interesting because, uh, again, just comparing uh, and contrasting the way different places are planning for this and the communities that maybe are welcoming guests but not necessarily encouraging special events because just the influx of people is going to be enough to deal with. Uh, as you said, there in Arkansas, there are a lot of places that are actually planning special things to do before, during, and after. That's right. That's right. And, you know, tourism is the, the second largest industry within the state of Arkansas. And so uh, our, our state has been known for welcoming guests and visitors that come to the Buffalo National River or to our national parks or state parks to, uh, you know, experience uh, outdoor recreation or, or come to our cities and enjoy, you know, fine dining and, and, and the hospitality that, that we're known for. And so uh, it is great to see that. And we would love for guests to come to Arkansas, have a, a great event, uh, and then come back again and again and again sure. based on their experience. Sure, absolutely. And and I think that is universal everywhere uh, to the extent that people will be coming in. You want to make sure that you put your best foot forward and encourage people to come back uh, in the future. What are you seeing there in terms of accommodations, hotels, short-term rentals, that kind of thing? Can people still secure places to stay? That's right. We've seen a large amount of interest in, in Arkansas State Parks, and, and in totality, those locations are primarily booked, but there are still spaces available uh, within our privately owned hotels, uh, as well as um, uh, Airbnbs and other lodging accommodation mm -hmm. uh, as well. So we're encouraging uh, visitors to to book their accommodations as quickly as possible right. uh, to get those secured. Uh, and if you're really interested about what's available and what's taking place out there, you can visit us at arkansas.com slash eclipse. And you can learn more specifically about everything that's taking place around this event. Again, thought it'd be interesting to compare and to contrast uh, the things that are going on here in this part of the country with what is going on elsewhere in the country, because this is truly a, a big swath of the nation that will be experiencing this, and everybody's approaching it just a little bit differently. Again, Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, Shay Lewis, with us this morning. Mention again that website where folks can get more information. Sure. If you can visit arkansas.com slash eclipse. 
uh, for more information. And we'll keep that up to date with all the latest information and, and uh, events and activities as well. Shay, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow morning on the program, as we head into high school basketball tournament season, OHSAA Executive Director Doug Ute will join us to talk about the decision to expand the number of divisions and the number of championship opportunities across nearly all high school sports in the state of Ohio. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.